0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 6? I repeat, 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's a fairly lengthy chunk, um, so I'm going to just crack on if that's alright. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow on the screen uh, on the the wall there. So 2 2 Samuel chapter 6 says this. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ayo was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the Ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez, Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Micah, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home, to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or any anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And my our daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. Uh, A couple of months ago, I had the privilege of being in India with a church near Delhi, and one of the meetings that I was involved in spent some time looking at this passage with their worship team, and uh, kind of stayed with me. And coming back, and then more recently, uh, had a day last weekend with uh, all our small group leaders. Uh, We call those small groups core groups. And again, spent time in this passage. And I thought, well, it's still with me. And I want to bring it today um, as well. It is very much focused on the presence of God and the ark of God. As As we read it through, as we listen through, ark of God, ark of the Lord is repeated however many times. Now just to be clear, we're not talking about the huge boat that Noah built. That's a different ark. We're talking about the ark which was quite a lot smaller. Um, Moses received instructions about the ark being built, and I don't know the precise dimensions, but maybe the length of the radiator, the height of the lectern, I don't know. It's, it's of that kind of size. And the Lord gave instructions for it to be made, very precisely, even what material it was being made from, what dimensions. Uh, covered with gold, inside and out, I think. And what was placed inside of that ark? Uh, the stone tablets that Moses took back up the mountain to meet with God, and then God wrote on them again, uh, the Ten Commandments. They were inside the ark. The, uh, the staff that Aaron had, which miraculously budded and blossomed, that was inside the uh, the ark and a jar of God's miracle food called manna was inside the ark and David would have known some amazing things that took place in the people's history with the ark. So they were coming into their promised land under Joshua's uh, leadership. Well, how how does a nation of two million people cross a river that's in flood? There are no bridges. There are no boats. What are we going to do? And the Lord said. Have the priests carry the ark and step into the water. And they obeyed. So there's a few priests carrying the ark of the Lord, and they step down into the water, and as they step down into the water, into this river that's in flood, it begins to open up before them a pathway for, them, for the whole nation to cross because uh, the water is kind of heaped up upstream because right? God's presence was with them. And later on in their history, the Philistines, their enemies, enemies of God, captured the Ark. And they took it to their territory and they put it in their temple beside their god, a god called Dagon. And they would leave the temple and they discover that in the morning, their idol, Dagon, could not stand before the presence of God uh, with the Ark And so, on more than one occasion, that god, that kind of idol, uh, was on the ground. It had fallen down. It was smashed into different pieces on the threshold to the temple. The Philistines couldn't handle the Ark of God. And so they sent it back into the territory of Israel. We wanted it, but we don't want it anymore. It's too powerful for us. And so, what's happening here is David has just become king of the whole nation of Israel, and now united under his reign. A new era is about to begin in their history. They're going to encounter lots of blessing. And what does David want to do right at the beginning of his rule? He wants to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, this new capital city that effectively David has chosen... Uh, been uh, God's people had been unable to conquer it before. And then when David did, he realized, this makes a pretty good stronghold. I think let's make this the capital. So he wants to bring the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem, making the presence of God central in the whole nation's life. That was his desire. He's got this compelling vision for the presence of God amongst his people you kind of wonder then well what was what was David expecting the the ark of, the, of God amongst his people that will have real manifest effect it's not just symbolic and I think David understood God is not like inside the box knocking to try and get out is that the ark is the place for the people to meet with God And I think David, he would have known the history. He would have known uh, how they got into the promised land. He would have heard about the, the miraculous power that accompanied the ark of God. He would have also known what it says in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, chapter 12. All those years before, before they even set foot into their promised land, God had said to them, Deuteronomy 12, verse 4, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give in your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There... In the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. So, there must be for David this dawning realization. Having conquered Jerusalem and made it his own capital, knowing the Bible, he realizes now is the time and this is the place. In this way, God is making it clear Jerusalem is the place he's always had in mind to dwell amongst his people. And then you wonder, well, what blessing was David expecting? Well, I was thinking he was expecting that with the ark of the Lord being in Jerusalem, that presence would characterize the people there would be a people in love with God a people in love with his word a people with expectation for the miraculous a people focused on worshiping him and experiencing forgiveness for their sins a people of a growing kingdom a people uh, who were winning battles and gaining rest from their enemies and ultimately a people who would become a blessing for the other nations of the world. So he had this compelling vision for the presence of God, which I think can compel us as well in the new covenants. That we believe, not now in just one location on the earth, but where his people are, the church, wherever they may be, that we will experience similar, real, manifest blessings as a result of having God's presence amongst us, a people who know his love and love him back, a people for whom worship is central, a people experiencing uh, forgiveness, a people who are experiencing uh, miracles and have an expectation for winning battles and getting rest from their enemies. Now at this point, I have to say it's a little bit different from David's day. The way the kingdom grows is not that we march up to another town and kind of besiege it and take it over um, threatening people you have to obey Jesus or else it's not like that but there is a place in the New Testament where it speaks of God enabling us to demolish strongholds and take every thought captive it's not taking people captive you must come to the alpha course ha ha, or else it's it's taking thoughts captive it's God's kingdom and God's reign and God's character is increasingly having effect in my life because the word of God and the presence of God and faith in his power is central in my heart. And when that happens amongst a company of people, anything can happen because God is with them. I love what it says in Acts chapter 11 where a guy called Barnabas rocks up in a town called Antioch and he visits a group of disciples to find out what's going on there. And he says, or rather it says in Acts chapter 11, that he, he saw the evidence of the grace of God among them. And we're just therefore intrigued. Well, what did he see? What gave it away? What was the evidence that God, they'd received God's grace and God's grace was at work among them? And is that very different from what David was expecting? I'm expecting, David must have been thinking, that we're going to see with our own eyes the evidence of God's presence amongst us as a nation, as a community. And that compelled him. We must go and get the ark. We must bring it into Jerusalem. Not going to settle for anything else. However, this compelling vision does get rather interrupted um, by an event that we might find surprising or shocking or uncomfortable, and I think David probably had all of those reactions as well. It was all going so well. David has gathered at least 30,000 people to accompany the Ark of the Lord as it made its journey towards Jerusalem. We're told that 30,000 people at least were celebrating with all their might. What does that look like? And it's a, probably a tired and tested uh, analogy. But can you imagine what it would look like if ever England like the regular over-21s team, actually won the World Cup and came back into Heathrow with it on the plane. And there's this victory parade, open-top bus, and the Queen is there as well, every dignitary that you can think of, Prime Minister, whoever else, and they're all just enjoying the moment of the reflected glory. We've done it at last. And you think of that massive celebration that would unfold, and there's a massive celebration here, a cart might not sound particularly uh, sophisticated, but maybe that's the Rolls Royce of its day, and so in it comes, hurrah, and then the oxen stumbled, and then the cart wobbled, and then the ark started to come off, and so Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark and the Lord's anger burned against him and he died what do we learn from this and in the three months that follow because after a while David's like let's just get it to Obed's house I'm not sure we can take this much further in the three months that followed for David what did he learn about the presence of God this compelling vision, and it seems to have gone so wrong. What now? Did we all take it a bit too seriously? Let's just forget about it? Or are there some lessons for us to learn here? And David learned some lessons. I think firstly, he learned to take the holiness of God more seriously. Surely he understood that God's holy. But it says of Uzzah, that he was judged for his irreverent act. Not quite seriously enough. Maybe for Uzzah, he's grown up with the ark in his dad's house. And it's just almost been part of the furniture. Maybe they've experienced great blessing, but kind of over-familiarity can bring contempt. So here he is thinking, well, clearly I should be next to the ark. I'll just make sure that everything's okay and sometimes what can creep in for any of us could have crept in for other could have crept in for david is that sense of look at what we're doing isn't it impressive we are the people of the presence we're pursuing god's agenda on planet earth we have found the finest cart and a lot of people we're celebrating check us out aren't we doing well and that attitude can creep in amongst God's people, and we kind of forget who it is that we're dealing with. They weren't wrong to celebrate. They were wrong to be irreverent. Thinking perhaps, "Oh, God needs my helping hand. Now the reason for bringing the ark to Jerusalem is that we believe that God's presence protects his people. Not that we need to protect God but that he blesses and protects us. And in that sense, perhaps the cart can go before the horse. Um, That wasn't in the notes. We'll move on. Um, God needs my help rather than I'm in the presence of the Almighty. Were they trembling in awe at God, or were they just a bit impressed with what they were doing? We need to be a people who are also learning to take the holiness of God seriously. David starts his first response is anger at what happened but maybe he starts to learn a little bit because then a few words later it says he was afraid. I think God was justified in being angry. I don't think that David was. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Maybe he'd learnt something positive important. For us we can be surprised (laughs) At this event, think well. Why is that here in the Bible? That's a bit awkward. I mean, can you imagine that tumbleweed moment? It's all going so well, and then he's gone. He's on the floor. Um, but God's holiness doesn't change. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that this happened. Perhaps we should be surprised. It doesn't happen more often because we're dealing with a holy God. We're dealing with the name of the Lord Almighty, who is who is real, who is holy, who is pure. And maybe it's at times of certain new beginnings we should be aware. We're on holy ground here. It was a new time. It was a new kingdom, really. They had a new king. They had this new plan. We're bringing the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. And God's saying, therefore, take extra special care. And you see that in the New Testament as well. There's a new church with a new risen Savior, with new apostles and new signs and wonders all the time. People freshly coming to, to faith. And a couple people just think it's okay to lie. It's not a big deal. God saying, oh, I'm doing a new thing. You ought to be careful. And again, he just takes his children home because they've dared to meddle with the presence of God. It, it should cause a godly sense of fear because of who it is that we believe makes himself present. Amongst us, So I think David learned something about God's holiness. Taking it more seriously. And I believe that he, he learned something about God's word. And taking that more seriously as well. Clearly he does take it seriously. The very reason he's doing what he's doing is because he's probably read Deuteronomy chapter 12 and he realizes this is God's plan. This is how it should be. God's made it clear. But David could say... I had the right intention, I had the right idea, so surely that's enough, I've got a kingdom agenda here. But David had ignored the Bible's instructions, kind of cut corners in the approach they were taking, and hadn't yet realized that how they took the ark into Jerusalem mattered just as much as what they were doing, taking the ark. They kind of opted for a worldly method. Again, kind of a new cart. might not sound particularly sophisticated, but basically what they were doing is what the Philistines would have done. That's how they would have transported it. Pulled by oxen on a cart. It wasn't the way in which God had said to do it. But sometimes if, time is of the essence and we feel a bit in a hurry, we'll choose another method. Think, oh, this stuff in the Bible, it's kind of there. I kind of believe it, but we just need to press on. We don't have time to, uh, to, to do it biblically. We don't have time to cross the T's and uh, dot the I's. I'm sure God will make allowances for us because we have a good motive and we have a, a God-given plan and we have read the Bible, We're not just doing this for our sake. This is about God and his presence. So, surely he'll let us off. And if you were to read in Numbers chapter 3 and 4, which I'm suggesting you do another time, uh, you'd see that in God's word, he'd said, there's a particular way to handle the ark of the Lord. Actually, there was a particular group of people who were to do the handling, called the Kohathites a particular priestly tribe or clan. God said, they're the ones to carry it. Notice then that it's people carrying it, not on a cart, not with an oxen. See, oxen don't really care what they're pulling. Uh, They'll just keep going, Uh, plow on. It was people who were supposed to be feeling the weight. It was people working out where to put their next step. It was people perhaps slowing down, twisting the track. And it was to be these guys, the Kohathites, uh, carrying it on poles. It was designed to have two poles along the outside, going through some hoops that meant that it would, be, it would be lifted on their shoulders. That was how it was to be carried. And it was to have a cover placed over it as well. So it wasn't just taken as it was. It was to have this cover over it and surrounding it. That was doing the protecting. And they were to, to handle it in that way. That's how they should have done it. Well, good for them. What does that mean for us? How do we apply this today in the New Covenant? Taking the holiness of God more seriously and being uh, more reverent, does that mean don't celebrate quite as much? Dial down on the joy because you need to be more somber because it needs to be evident when you get together that you are being reverent. And reverence is therefore about certain things that we do, certain signs or behaviors that we uh, follow that demonstrate we are reverent in the presence of God. They weren't being ticked off because they made a big noise. They weren't being ticked off because they had music. Um, No, it was because they weren't following the Bible. It's because they didn't dare to be biblical That's why judgment came. Um, It wasn't about kind of turning the volume down and just kind of dressing a bit more properly. It's about they were cutting corners with, with the word. Now, we can be really celebrating. We can be actually really pretending to celebrate. We can be really reverent in our heart. Or we can be really pretending to be reverent with what we do. Adopt the posture and it will be clear that you're really treasuring the presence of God right now. now it's not looking at some external just way of behaving like that. It's coming, how are we handling the word of God? Are we, are we feeling the weight of Jesus' words? There could be loads of examples to give as we turn to the, to the New Testament. Just to narrow it down a little bit, we could look at Matthew's gospel. If David and those of the day had not taken the word of God seriously enough, what might that look like for us? Well, let's consider some of the things that Jesus told his disciples when he was here on the earth in the flesh. Matthew chapter 5, 23. I mean, we could just look at so many. I'm just kind of picking out a couple. Matthew 5.23 Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Just one example of Jesus bringing an instruction, a command, a direct direction to his people. If you're offering your gift at the altar, you remember that your brother's got something against you. It's in the context of him saying, look, you've heard it said, don't murder. But actually I say, don't, don't be angry. Don't speak anger to somebody. And maybe that's what therefore needs, needs to be reconciled. Oh, I've just remembered how I spoke to that person. I've just remembered what I said. It was days ago. But actually, I'm now coming to, uh, with an expectation to meet with the real God and encounter his presence. And there's, there's a fact that I know that person could have something against me because of something that I said. It's, it's tangible, it's definite, I remember. What do we do? Well, I believe what Jesus said. I believe that he said that. Do we at that point believe that Jesus will go, oh, it's grace, guys, get over it, you're fine. Don't, you don't have to go through that. It's, don't, you don't have to jump through the hoop. Just come, it's, everything's fine. Is that what it means? Yes, I believe Jesus said it, and I believe that I don't have to do it. Carry the ark of the covenant on a pole. I'm sure he'll let us off. Now we've got to dare to be biblical. They were in a hurry. They thought, let's put it on a, on a cart. Sometimes we can be in a hurry and think, I haven't got time to go to the person and say I'm sorry. I mean, that could just open up some massive can of worms. It could become, you know, open-ended. No, I'll just keep it between me and God. I'll apologize to him, but I won't address the matter with the person who might have had reason to be offended. I can recall, actually, I can recall several examples in my own life. I will tell you just one of them. Uh, I was in the house alone. This is going back years. There are more recent versions as well, but anyway, just one. I, I, was, at ho- I was home alone and I was busy and I can't remember what I was doing or why it seemed so important. But what I remember is that somebody knocked on the door. This was the least opportune moment. So I shouted from a distance, go away. And I understand that that's not the right way to uh, greet people. I thought, ah, now I can't even pretend that I'm not at home. Um, So I went to the door and and I opened the door to see two members of the church. Hello. How can I help you? Oh, no. What I? I I didn't know if they'd heard me, but I'm... They heard me. Um, <laughs> so kind of negotiate the moment. Oh, sorry. Um, it's, it's dealt with. But I'm then preparing to lead worship on a Sunday morning. And I'm praying my best stuff. And uh, I'm really seeking God for his presence to be amongst us this morning. And then this little probing, little jabbing thought comes. But remember what you said on Tuesday. Remember how you opened the door. Lord, I don't want to think about that. I apologize to you at the time. Is that not enough? No. You need to have a conversation. So we're upstairs in the Jubilee Center... The practical uh, preparation has taken place, but the spiritual preparation hasn't. And I know I need to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. There was no good reason for me to raise my voice. And I'm quite embarrassed about that. Would you forgive me? And there there are loads of ways now where apologies get diluted. Um, Apologies can be, I'm sorry, but... And I'm sorry, but means that something or somebody else is really to blame. Uh, now there might be loads of things in the background, but I'm sorry, I shouted. But you've got to understand what the week has been like. You've got to understand how much I'm trying to achieve in these next five minutes. You've got to understand how many people uh, uh, kind of are on my mind and how much stress I'm having to cope. So, so that's why. Do you see? Do you see that I'm sorry, but other stuff was going on. I'm sorry you got caught in the crossfire but it's not my fault. Do you see what I mean? An apology that really isn't an apology. It's just, that's jumping through a hoop. Or, I'm sorry if. Now, I'm sorry if is another creative twist on the genuine apology, because sorry I'm sorry if means that I did do something that might not be right but most people, most normal people would have been able to handle it without getting offended. You're of the oversensitive disposition so I've got to make allowances for the fact that you were offended by just something ordinary and every day. So I'm sorry if you were offended. Really the issue is yours. Just go and toughen up Um, if you see what I mean. But daring to be biblical on just this one example is cutting all of that out. And it can actually be quite brief. I don't need to give you all the background as to why I felt stressed. Uh, You don't need to know what I was having to deal with. The fact is, what I did was not godly. I'm recognizing it and I'm apologizing and saying, will you forgive me? So I only bring a personal example because... It just illustrates, it's everyday, isn't it? It's everyday stuff. It's the spiritual equivalent to a cough and a cold. And we can ignore coughs and colds, but we can't ignore chest infections. And sometimes what starts as just a little bit of a cough or a cold grows into a chest infection. So in other words, we deal with spiritual niggles, even if they don't seem like a big deal. I'm sure God doesn't mind. I'm sure it won't affect the meeting. It's just in that little area. I know I haven't done it right, but God will make allowances for me. Well, God might surprise you and say, hello, take my holiness more seriously if you desire the presence of God to be central in your midst there is no other way I'm afraid you have to regard my holiness and you have to regard my words we could go on and talk about about worry and how Jesus in in chapter 6 says do not worry it's an instruction, it's a command, and Jesus gives us loads of good reasons. He doesn't say, don't worry, and I offer you no help. He says, don't worry, and here's why not. Understand this about me. Understand how what I'm like. Pay attention to my promises. Look at my word, and then you will find power and weapons with which to defeat worry in your life. It's not surprising that we experience things in life that can cause us to worry. It can be surprising that more Christians don't actually do battle with it. And when they say, I'm struggling with worry, or I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, how often do we actually mean I've stopped struggling with it, I'm succumbing to it, I'm overridden by it, and it's just one of those spiritual coughs and colds that I'm going to have to, cope with from now on like that sports injury uh, it's just now it's what I, I walk with a bit of a limp because of you know I've just done too much running on my knee and the joint's not great but it's all right I can soldier on now we're not called to soldier on disregarding these things well if it was a chest infection I'd do something about it no well it's a, if it's a cough and a cold beware the impact it can have on the community if somebody goes to work with a cough and a cold thank you so much why don't you breathe on us all And worry has the power to cause fear, not only in one person's life, but fear will probably just bring about control and manipulation one way or another. So when Jesus says, do not worry, it's not another example of us saying, yeah, I believe that Jesus said that. I believe that's like a noble aim to have in mind but God will make allowances for the fact that I'm not really making any progress on it. We can't afford to have that kind of attitude. We've got to dare to be biblical. If we have a compelling vision for the presence of God amongst the people to bless the world, we can't just allow it to fritter on. Are we in too much of a hurry to say, I need to go and apologize. I need to deal with my... I need to... Get before the word and get with the Lord to help me to uh, take those worrying thoughts captive. Let's not kid ourselves that it's okay just to have good intentions. We've got to see that we take the word of God seriously. Dare to be biblical and trust that God's rich and manifold blessing will come that way. In other words, it's not just an exercise in damage limitation. I got it wrong. I suppose I should tidy up the mess. But there's a positive reason. There's a positive reason to heed the word of God. There's a positive reason to put things right with a friend. There's a positive reason to uh, to forgive something that may be really historic or might be really fresh. There's a positive reason to run through worry with the word of God not just nervously trying to get things right this time, but because we take God's blessing seriously. And I think this is something else that David learned. I think probably at the beginning of that three months, he was having a sulk. What have I done to deserve this? Why are you punishing me? I was setting about a godly plan. Oh, maybe I'm not supposed to lead anymore. Do I really know God? He could have gone spiraling down however at some point he must have pressed in with God again and I wonder if that came when he heard reports do you know what you know that guy at Obed-Edom the Gittite and his household you know where we took the ark have you heard what's happened have you heard what they've encountered in just three months in their household in every way they have been blessed it's not like the ark of the Lord ceased to exist or the presence of God was nowhere to be found it was he was around Obed-Edom's house having a great time and again we might wonder what did it look like what was all this blessing I don't know, but it was enough to provoke a kind of godly envy and desire Lord if you can do that much good to one household one family one group Lord I believe you what you do want to do Tremendous things amongst the whole nation from Jerusalem and out into all the nations of the world. We are going again for the ark. We are going again for the presence of God. We're not leaving it to another generation. We're not just leaving it as that awkward mistake that never got corrected. We are going again. And so he doesn't withdraw from the Lord. He presses in and there's faith to go again. And you'll note. That actually, they don't use a cart this time. Again, he's learned the lessons that people are carrying it. Um, they get six steps, and then they kind of sacrifice um, a bull and a fattened calf. It's like, I wonder if there's just this sense of great relief. Nobody's died. Wonderful. God is with us. Let's keep going. But we're going to take our time. Six steps, and then they stop. <laughs> Isn't that intriguing? Um, and then they continue on their way, and David is dancing, and he's enjoying worshipping God. You see, it wasn't wrong to celebrate, so now they're celebrating even more. And the whole nation does get blessed. You think, what a commitment for the whole people to turn out. Everyone gets their cake of raisins, everyone gets their loaf of bread at the end of the day. You go, kind of go home with a blessing. All because they dared to go again, to take the blessing seriously. And actually that means that David takes God very seriously and he doesn't take himself very seriously. It's like he's free to take off all his royal robes and just adopt adopt the, the kind of clothing and the style of just the ordinary guy. And he doesn't being king right now is it's not important to appear really dignified and kind of milk the moment for my prestige, aren't I a wonderful king? It's, no, along with all the people, I'm going to celebrate. And you find, therefore, that when the grace of God has impacted the people, there isn't this preoccupation with who's in what role and how dignified are you and you get to stand at the front or whatever else. that doesn't matter. We're a people together worshipping God because David has seen something. It's got hold of him. And he's taking it seriously. Do we see this? As as a vision for the presence of God amongst his people compelled us? Or is it just a case we'll mark time? He'll bless a few households here and there. But let's just roll out the usual. Or an expectation that God's in the midst, and therefore. Our worship will have the flavor of heaven. Our devotion will be saturated with the word. We will have expectation for miracles for a kingdom that is growing as people receive the invitation uh, to come into it and nations get blessed. Can we see it? David's wife certainly didn't. My cow, she had, she had a hard life, she had loads of reasons to be really bitter. And that bitterness has almost come to consume her and identified her. So jaded with the past and previous hopes that have been dashed, she cannot see what God is doing. She has no appreciation of the presence of God. All she can see is her husband making a fool out of himself. She is uninvolved. She watches from the window. She is unimpressed. She just has contempt for the whole situation. She's negative to the extreme. She comes out looking for David to give him a piece of her mind. She's an extreme example of bitter cynicism. And she doesn't see it. All the celebration seems undignified and a waste of time. And it will seem like that for us if we don't deal with that which could cause bitterness, I think the positive example, if I can call it that, is to, is to see what David learned and say, it's in those footsteps I want to follow. Taking God more seriously doesn't mean never making a mistake. If we think in those terms, we never embark on anything because we don't want to make a mistake. So the solution would be just leave the ark where it was. You tried once, don't try again. And we would be learning the the wrong lesson if we think in those terms. We'd be learning the right one if we think, I did make a mistake. It wasn't all glorious, but for reasons of faith and looking forward, the presence of God in a community of people, I'm going to put something right. I'm going to dare to be biblical. I'm not going to be in so much of a hurry that I can't have that simple conversation. It might open up a can of worms, don't know how to deal with that. No, let's dare to be biblical. Let's follow God. Let's follow Jesus. Let's believe that the one who spoke those words is present with us by his spirit to help us through the can of worms, even if it does open up before our very eyes. Because he's the king, that's the way in which he's leading. You get that 30,000 people following David, the imperfect king. We now see a greater kingdom with a greater king. We have even more reason to say, I'm going God's way. I'm going the way that Jesus has marked out for us. I'm daring to go again. Now is still the time, and this is still the place where God wants to meet powerfully with his people. All the people said. All right.